We have finished up quite a doctrine session of Romans as we have been making our way through the book of Romans in three separate series. I did a series entitled Lost. I did a series entitled Justified. I recently finished up another series entitled Sanctified. There's some heavy doctrinal things that we looked at, some heavy truths that we looked at. But in true Apostle Paul style, what happens is, as we approach the latter parts of Romans, uh, we get into some more practical things. We get into some things that are a little more relevant. I don't think there's anything more relevant to us as Christians than worshiping him. I don't think there's any more relevant to us as Christians than how we should live our lives and the mission to which God has called us to. And there's going to be several, uh, several topics that we're going to look at as we make our way through this latter portion of the book of Romans. And we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, this is one of the things that I think people are questioning a lot is what is my gift? What is my place within the body of Christ? We're going to have a sermon on how to interact with government authority. Um, wow, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, We're going to have a sermon on not being judgmental towards others, not being a stumbling block towards other people. But today I want to talk about worship. When it comes to living our lives the way that God has commanded us to, worship is the primary expression to which we are called. And in fact, worship is the primary purpose for why we were created. God demands worship. He doesn't ask for it by saying, pretty please. Everywhere in Scripture, we see the command and the requirement for God's creatures to worship Him. Worship is the highest form of adoration and affirmation that we can possibly give to God. In fact, I believe that worship is even more important than obedience because if, if our obedience to Christ is not an overflow of our worship, then it could be obedience because we feel obligated or begrudgingly, and uh, that's not the way that God has called us to serve Him. I only have two short verses for you today. Two short verses about what true worship is all about. Two short verses from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 2. If you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I would hope that you, like many other verses in Romans, I I would hope that you would have these two verses memorized in your favorite translation. Stand with me, please, as we read these two verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Lord Jesus, today I pray a simple prayer. I pray, God, just like I prayed earlier, that you would be the exclusive focus of this worship service. God, I pray that we would cherish you above anyone and above anything else. And I pray that, God, today that we would go on a 
that we would, that we would go on a, on a searching spree in our heart. Lord, that we would see if there's any idols that exist in our hearts. Lord, that we would reserve worship for you and for you only today. Teach us, Lord, today about worship. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today I want to talk to you about four characteristics of true worship. Now I suppose that there's a lot of different things that we could say about worship. There's a lot of different places that we could go in Scripture that talk about worship, where we could learn about worship. But this passage here today, I really want to pour out, point out just four simple characteristics of what true worship is is all about. Some of these might surprise you. Some of the, some of the things that I have to say to you today uh, might be surprising. I would hope that a much of what I have to say today is just a reminder of the things that you already know. After all, the, the Bible says, I believe it was Peter that said, I don't find it a burdensome to remind you of the things that you already know. Uh, after all, that's why we celebrate the gospel week after week. It's not that we don't know it, it's that we want to continue to celebrate it. And so um, these things that I'll share with you today, I hope that are simple, I hope they're straightforward, I hope they're a reminder of some things, but maybe might also be a challenge. Uh, I think that this first point about true worship from Romans chapter 12, um, verse 1, should be very, very simple and intuitive. True worship must have the proper object. We must worship the proper person. We must worship the proper things. We all know that there is such thing as false worship. We see it everywhere in Scripture. Uh, we can worship the wrong God. In fact, God's people did this all throughout the Old Testament. They worshiped the wrong God. This was their primary downfall, by the way, is that they worshiped the wrong God. They had love and affection and a drive and a desire for the wrong God, for false gods. I don't think it's by mistake that the Lord, in the, in the, when he gave them the Ten Commandments, that the very first commandment that he gave, he said, don't worship other gods, only worship me. So uh, there can be false worship of a wrong God, but there can also be false worship that involves worshiping the right God in the wrong way. We see this also as a lesson in the Old Testament. We see ancient Israel, especially in the northern kingdom. They worshiped the true God in a wrong way. Now they violated the first command, they also the commandment, they had other gods besides the Lord, but they also worshiped in a wrong way. If you've been here on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about that a lot. We've been talking about these places of worship that they set up in the northern kingdom of Israel rather than going to Jerusalem and worshiping the way that God told his people to worship. Uh, there could be examples in our day to where we have false objects that we worship. It's so easy to worship church. Well, I love my church. It's so easy to worship music. Well, I, there's certain types of music that I like. Or it can be so easy to worship Christian leaders. I really like this particular author or this particular pastor. Um, we don't want anything to take our minds off of the right object of worship. And that's what we see in here. We see this appeal to worship God in spirit and in truth that is an overflow of focus on the mercies of God. 
And so proper worship has to overflow from the idea of an understanding of God, of who He is, of what He has done, what He requires of us in order for us to be the creatures that He has called us to be. God must be the exclusive object of worship and affection in your life. Not just in a worship service, and we know how easy it is. Eve, think about this. Even in a worship service, even among multiple worship services, even, uh, even for decades in some churches, how easy it is to take the focus off of Jesus. Though he may be mentioned and though Bible verses may be read, it's so easy to become distracted away from God being the object of worship. And so certainly that's the case for us as well. And so true worship says, I want to celebrate the qualities of God. I want to exalt his attributes, his acts of power in history, the mystery of his current activities in the world, his requirements of me as his, crea as his creation, and most importantly, the salvation that is offered to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we have any other focus or object of worship, our affections are in the wrong place. The local church cannot be an object of worship. If you leave here today and say to yourself, man, I love my church, we have done you a disservice. You should leave here today saying, I love Jesus. If you leave here today thinking to yourself, Scott is a good preacher, or Andy is a good worship leader, or the songs that we sang made me feel good, or I really like it there. Now listen, we want all those things to be true. We would be lying if we didn't say that we wanted all those things to be true and for those to be your opinions, of course. But we, if you leave here today thinking anything other than God is a good God and I love Jesus, then true worship has not happened in your life and perhaps we have done you a disservice. So whether it is private worship, whether it is public worship, whether it is worship through singing, worship through giving, whether it is uh, worship through preaching, whatever it is, God must be the object of worship. We think that is uh, that should be a given, and it should be naturally intuitive, but it's interesting how quickly we can lose that in our life if we're not careful. So true worship must have the proper object. Number two, true worship has the proper offering. True worship has the proper offering. Do you know there is no such thing as worship without offering? There's no such thing. There's no such thing as worship without presenting something to God and giving something to God. And I'm not speaking about money. I know that whenever we think about offerings, um, we use the word offering to talk about the time of giving during a worship service. But I want to broaden that definition. Now, often whenever we think of worship, people will leave church and they'll say, oh, I really loved the worship this past week. And what do we mean by that? We mean, well, I really loved the songs is usually what we, what we mean. 
I hope that we understand that worship is more than just the singing that we do. And that an offering is bigger than just the monetary gifts that we give. Worship has always involved an offering and the offering must be proper. Think about the Old Testament. What did the, what did the Old Testament worshipers offer? They gave and they offered an animal sacrifice. They sacrificed an animal on the altar. That was the offering that they brought. It was the body of an animal that was placed on an altar and killed, and it was a substitute sacrifice for them. What we owe God for our sin is death. But what God told the worshipers in the Old Testament, I'm going to give you a temporary sacrifice, a temporary substitute. And you bring your offering, a lamb or a bull or a dove, or there's all types of different offerings. But you bring those things as a substitute payment and you offer them. You offer the bodies of those animals as sacrifice on the altar. Now we know that this foreshadowed Christ. I encourage you to read Leviticus chapter 1 sometime and look at the whole sacrifice that God required and the offering of an animal sacrifice and tell me that you can't see the foreshadowing of Christ. And that's what we see in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus' body was offered as a sacrificial offering. Jesus' blood was spilled. He gave his body as a sacrifice in death as a permanent substitute payment. The blood of bulls and goats was offered in the Old Testament. The blood of Jesus and his body was offered in the Gospels. And it was the last blood sacrifice required. The last substitute sacrifice required. I think you see where I'm going here. Look what the scripture says that we're to do. We don't offer our physical bodies. We don't offer the blood of an animal. The Bible says in worship, we're to offer ourselves. That we are to present ourselves to God. That we show up in the offering that we make is similar to what Jesus did physically and to what the Old Testament worshipers did with the blood of bulls and goats, except the Bible says that this is our spiritual worship, that we offer to the Lord our whole self, that we present ourselves to God, just like Jesus did on the cross, except we do it in a spiritual way. This is what Jesus meant when he said, Take up your cross. He didn't say, he didn't mean kill your physical body or allow your physical body to be killed as payment for your sins. No, he said, take up your cross, meaning die to self. This is what Jesus meant. He's talking about the offering that we make of our lives, where we give our whole self. Jesus said you have to give up your life, take up your cross. Self-sacrifice is the only proper and acceptable offering that makes true worship actually worship. And we see this everywhere, by the way, in the New Testament. Remember the early disciples? Remember Matthew, how he left the tax collector's booth and he followed Jesus. 
and how Peter came to a, a, Jesus came to a shore and he saw Peter and he said, hey, come follow me. And what did they do? They left everything and they followed him. They gave their entire lives. Now, some people refused to do this, like the rich young ruler. Uh, Jesus told him to give up some things and to sacrifice some things and he would not do it. And here's the point. If you're not giving yourself over to God, it doesn't matter how many songs that you sing. It doesn't matter how many times that you show up and sit in a pew. It doesn't matter how much money you put in a plate. These things must be an overflow of our hearts. God calls us to give ourselves. It doesn't matter the external forms of worship if there's not an internal presentation of self to make it genuine. Look what uh, Amos says, Amos, uh, Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through verse 23. God says, talking about the Old Testament worshipers, he says, I hate your feasts. I don't, I don't like your fellowships and your gatherings and, and, and your religious things that you do and your religious celebrations. He says, I don't take any delight in your solemn assemblies, your, your prayer meetings. He says, even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, which, by the way, were required by God, he says, no, I'm not going to accept those peace offerings, your fattened animals. He said, I'm not even going to look at them. He says, listen, take away from me the noise of your songs, the melodies of your harps. He says, I'm not going to listen. And the reason God said this is because the hearts of the people were, were far away from God. And because of that, the ritualism involved the, the, of, 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 of the Old Testament, all of the religious ritualism, it didn't matter because the hearts of the people had moved away from God. Listen, there is no greater and higher expression of worship and praise to God than saying... God, all I am is yours. Here I am. You can have my whole life. You do with me whatever you please. I give myself. I give my whole person. I give everything that I own. Everyone that I love, like Abram did, his, his son that God gave to him, whom he placed on an altar and was willing to give up because God told him to. There is no higher worship than saying, God, I am your creature, you are my creator, and I give my whole self to you. I give my soul to you. You know, you did this on the day you were saved. On the day you were saved, this is how you got saved. As you came to a point in your life where you said, I'm going to give up my whole self. You came to a point of complete and absolute, total surrender. And you know what the one of the dangers about being a Christian for a long period of time is that you start to begin to rely on yourself again. And you lose that sense of surrender. And if you're not careful, you get really, really involved in a local church and you get really, really involved in religion and you just get busy with life. And you stop offering yourself to God. You, you stop sacrificing yourself to God anew. You know, this is one of the things that I often worry about for those of you who are heavily involved in leadership 
in our church. For those of you who, who uh, volunteer in age-graded ministries, for those of you who are greeters, for those of you who sing in the choir and involved in the worship ministry, for those of you who hold babies in the nursery, for those of you who work on our church staff, one of the things that I often talk about a lot, and we speak about this a lot among our pastors, is that we get concerned that by putting you in so many different positions of service, that if we're not careful, you get so busy with your tasks that you forget that you're here to stand in awe of God and to worship. You know, that's our primary command in, in Scripture, and that is the pr- our primary desire for you when you gather here on Sundays is not that you be a worker bee, not that you be a taskmaster running around and doing all the things that you feel like that you should do, but so that you worship. This is what God has designed us to do. And listen, if, if you're in a position right now to where you feel like, man, I'm doing so much for, I'm doing so much and I'm doing so many things and I've lost my sense of worship. Listen, you ought to stop doing some things and you ought to return to a heart of worship. That's what the Lord has primarily called us to. Now, I will say this. In order for this to happen, it cannot be fully accomplished in church in these four walls. It has to be carried out as a lifestyle. And that's what we see in this next verse, that true worship is transformational. True worship is transformational. And what I mean by that is not that there's a song that is sung and it changes you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a lifestyle. True worship is a lifestyle. True worship is more than just a worship service. True worship is more than just showing up on the Lord's Day. And listen, y'all know how I feel about the Lord's Day. I feel like that what we do on the Lord's Day should be prioritized above everything else in your life. I believe that what we do on the Lord's Day, 52 weeks out of the year for 80 or 90 years of your life, I believe that, that when we, if you were to survey and look at your main activities on Sundays for your whole life, that the Lord's Day gathering with God's people in a place of worship should be absolutely prioritized above everything else that you would possibly do on Sunday mornings. But there is true worship that cannot fully be accomplished only by gathering here in this place. True worship is something that is a lifestyle. True worship is a manner of living. True worship has God as its object, has our souls as its offering to God, And it spills over into a way that we live. Listen, true worship is a lifestyle, not a musical style. Let me say that again. It's a lifestyle, not a musical style. And it should be transformational. You know, um, listening to music you enjoy and feeling excited afterwards. Do you know that's not what true worship is all about? By the way, this is something that I really appreciate about our worship pastor, Andy Hammond. He is not caught up in making sure that we sing songs to just make us feel good as his primary goal. He wants us to sing songs that are gospel-saturated, 
that are focused on Christ, that aren't just going to lead to an immediate response. And listen, I love expressing. I love feeling good about songs. I love singing. I don't mind raising my hands. I think I would dance sometimes if y'all wouldn't, wouldn't look at me. If I could do it without you seeing me, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I shouldn't worry about it. I'll do it anyway. Um, you wouldn't like it very much. White boy has no rhythm. Um, but you know, it's not about an immediate response. Worship is not about an immediate response. Worship is about a lasting response. It's about an ongoing response. It's about a manner of living. The scripture talks about the difference between confirmation and transformation. A difference between being conformed to this world and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. This speaks of a lifestyle. First, the Bible says that we should not fall prey to the shaping influences around us. That we are not to conform. That we are not to assimilate. That, By the way, that's what it means to conform. Conform means to become behaviorally, socially, or morally similar to. To be shaped and model, molded to a certain pattern. You, this, this cannot happen to us in relation to the world and us be true worshipers. Doesn't matter how much, we, how much we come to church, doesn't matter how moral we are, it doesn't matter. If the world is shaping us and we have become assimilated to the point there's really no difference between us and them, then we are not living a lifestyle of worship. And it's, isn't it so easy just to become assimilated? Isn't it so easy just to become influenced by people? One of the things that I thought of about this was uh, southern accents. So those of you who have moved to Tennessee from far away, we really hope to conform you to us and so that you can learn how to say y'all and so you can have like this southern twang. It just kind of happens, doesn't it? I mean, you just, you just can't help it. I mean, you come down here, you stay down here long enough and you're going to say y'all. You know that the opposite is also true? I had a friend of mine that grew up in Mississippi and y'all, let me just tell you, he had a deep southern drawl. Well, he moved to Boston. And um, I was talking to him on the phone about 10 years later. And he was talking like this. And he goes, yeah, we like it up here in Boston. I said, what happened to you? Oh, my goodness. You have conformed. You have assimilated. Now, I say all that jokingly. Obviously, we want you to speak in whatever language you want to. I mean, God's language would be a southern accent, but we want you to, you know, speak in how, however you would want to. And obviously, I'm saying all that just tongue-in-cheek, and I'm, 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 I'm obviously kidding about these things. But that's what assimilation looks like. It's you get around people, and they mold you, and they shape you. That's not true worship. This is one of the tragedies of American Christianity, is that there is no observable difference between us and the world. That we look like them, we, we act like them, we talk like them, we're assimilated. We think about marriage the same way that, that they do. We think about child rearing the same way that they do. We're engaging in sexual immorality just like they are. We have materialism in our life. We don't look any different in the way that we engage in politics or in the civil realm any different than lost people. We approach work and education the same. Folks, I want, I want to encourage you today that we need to look different than everybody else. That the beauty of Christ 
has to be beholded by a lost world. They have to look at us and say, there's something different about what they believe about marriage or what they believe about work and why they work or what they believe about education and why they go to school and why they send their kids to school. There's a difference in how they engage in sports and what the motivation is. There's a difference in what they believe about, uh, about education and study and intellectualism. There's a, there's a difference about them. If the only difference between us and our lost friends is that we attend worship once a week and read our Bibles whenever no one's watching, if that's the only difference between us and our lost friends, then we're not, it's not, it's not true worship. The beauty of Christ has to be beholden in the way that we talk, the way that we act, the decisions that we make, and how we live our life. You know, I used to think, I used to think that as Christians, we should show the world, hey, we're just like you. We just love Jesus. And I've come to realize that that's wrongheaded. That no, we're nothing like them. That at our core, at our center, we are completely and absolutely different. And it spills over into every area of our life. That's true worship. That's what it means to be transformed. We're not to be conformed to the world. The Bible says we're to be transformed. This means to be changed in nature or essence as evidenced by outward appearance or expression. In other words, there's been an internal change and a heart that has been molded to worship. And as a result, the caterpillar has been turned into a butterfly. Or to use biblical language, the dead man has been made alive. That's what true worship means. See, worship is ultimately defined not by where you sit on Sunday mornings or the songs that you sing or the preacher that you listen to or the denomination that you like or the order of worship that you prefer. Worship is ultimately about who or what you are becoming. It's ultimately about a lifestyle. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Look at this. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're to be transformed. You see, worship has to have the right object. Worship, true worship, has to have the right offering. True worship must be transformational. It must be a lifestyle. And here's one for you. Maybe you've never heard this before. I've said it before, but may, maybe it's never sunk in. Listen, true worship is missional. True worship is missional. Look what the Apostle Paul says here. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may do what? You may discern what is the will of God. Now listen, I know, I know that, we, that, that you, have, you have used this verse in your life, and I have too. You have used this verse in your life whenever you have come to critical points of decision. I've got a major decision that I have to make about my life. Who should I marry? Where should I go to school? What job should I take? I, I know that that is the way 
that typically we use this verse because that's typically the way that we talk about the will of God. Let me ask you a question. When the Bible talks about you being able to discern something, and discern, it means to clearly see what is hidden. Do you really think that the Apostle Paul had in his mind, or God has in his mind, that worship is all about you figuring out what you're going to do with you? Do you really think that that's as big as the will of God is? Now listen, do I, do I think we should make wise choices in life? Absolutely I do. Do I think that the choice of who we marry or where we go to school or what job we take or what city we live, obviously those choices, those choices are major, major important choices. But I know that my Bible says that whenever, whenever I worry about what I, what I should eat or what I should drink or what I should wear or what I will do for tomorrow, when I'm worried about all those life decisions, my Bible, my Savior tells me to seek first the kingdom. You see, true worship can't be about you. It can't be about you. And discovering the will of God also has to be about you. It has to be something bigger than you. And listen, discerning God's will means seeking something bigger than ourselves. That's why we're seeking God's will and not asking God to use his power to do what I will and what I want and will make me happy. True worship is saying, God, I give myself to you. Think about all the people in the Bible. Were they on their knees praying about major life decisions and God shows up and says, oh, don't worry, I'm going to help you make all these major decisions for your life? Or did God show up and appear to people and sweep them away in his grand plan of redemption that he's carrying out in the world. Think about some of these people. Think about Abraham and Moses. You think that Moses was, was, was up on the mountain of God wondering about, oh Lord, what should I do next with my life? And then here's, here's the burning bush and God says, hey, don't worry about it, Moses. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to help you make wise decisions. It wasn't about Moses. It was about the fact that God had seen his people in bondage. He had heard their cry, and it was God's will for those people to be delivered. And he wanted Moses to get swept away in his plan of redemption. It's the same way with almost every biblical character, David and Solomon and Paul and Peter and John. And Jesus, praying, Lord, not my will, but your will. Lord, not what I want, but you want. I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about you and about your will and sacrificing myself for you. You see, it's not true worship unless it involves mission, unless it involves expanding the worship of God. And listen, mission is something that takes place outside of the gathered believers on Sunday morning. 
is something that takes place outside of these walls. It's something where we live a lifestyle of worship as a means of expanding the amount of worship that God receives from his creatures. And this is ultimately why we do missions. We want to see that God receives the worship and praise and exaltation that he deserves. That's why you should share your faith. That's why you should live on mission. That's why you should live missionally. Not so you could pat yourself on the back because you did what God told you to do. That's not why you do missions. Oh, look at me. I was obedient. I did what God told me to do. No, that's focus on you. You do missions because God is worthy of praise. And you want more people to praise him. You don't even, listen, you don't even do evangelism and missions primarily so that people will be saved. You do it because God is worthy of glory. Because he's worthy of praise from all of his creatures. And there are pagan people all over this world, secular people all over this world, and God is worthy of their praise. That's why we do mission. I want you to think about, I want you to think about these four principles. Who has your total affection? To what is your total heart devoted? What is your primary object in worship? It could be today that it could be today that you would say, you know what? My heart has been drawn away to all types of different idols and all types of different directions. And the object of my worship is not what it needs to be. Are you offering yourself to God? Do you see worship as an offering of yourself to God? Or do you see it as a carrying out of a duty that you're supposed to perform or a mechanism through which you can get whatever it is that you want from God? It's not true worship. True worship is saying, I give myself up. I give myself over. Are you living a lifestyle of worship? Are you being transformed? Is the world conforming you? Or are you being transformed? Are you living a lifestyle of worship? Are you a missional worshiper? Are you a missional worshiper? Are you, are you living and walking in true worship? By seeing that worship is expanded all over this globe, these are the things that make worship true worship.